John chapter 10, John chapter 10, as a church, we've been walking through the gospel of John and the whole book of John was written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. It's the whole purpose of the book of John. And uh, last, I guess not quite last week, two weeks ago, uh, we saw how Jesus had um, healed a man born blind and um, I don't have time to re-preach that whole sermon, so you'll have to go back and listen to that. But that, that chapter, John 9, ends with a, a conflict um, between Jesus and the Pharisees. And um, it ends with this, this conflict, and the, the Pharisees are indignant that Jesus would heal this man who's been born blind. And so we, we see in this passage that that conflict continues, and Jesus is trying to explain, he's trying to explain to to his uh, to these Jews, um, his purpose here on earth and what he's doing, and this is um, such a rich passage. Um, I, before I really get into this preaching, I, I want to say, I, when I was in college, I heard a sermon on this passage that um, has profoundly changed me and ministered to me, and um, from all these years later. And uh, I also want to give credit where credit is due. In our small group, we talked about this passage two weeks ago, and. Um, and that was that our small group conversations are always a great conversation, a great way to um, a, a great way to uh, help me understand the passage better as I um, prepare to preach on it. Um, I just want to make sure I don't plagiarize and give credit to everyone who's there. So if you're in our small group, you're credited. There's a footnote. You're all good. We're not plagiarizing, Ricky. We're all good. Um, John chapter 10. This is what God's word says. Truly, truly, I say to you. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of the one who is oppressed by a demon. 
Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Father in heaven, we ask one more time that you would help us to hear your word. This passage tells us that your sheep hear your word. Father, would you feed us with your word this morning that we might find life and find it abundantly. It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lay down beside still waters. He leads me beside green pastures. Surely goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. That psalm is probably one of the most um, recognizable parts of the Bible. Uh, Many of you, maybe, maybe if you don't even have a church background, you probably knew those words before I said them. The the, the Lord is my shepherd is one of the, the, the most precious promises that God has given to us in Scripture. Uh, we, we see the language of sheep and shepherding pervades the whole Bible. Language of sheep and shepherding pervades the whole Bible. That The earliest ancestors of the Israelites were all shepherds. Um, the, uh, the, the, the children of Israel are called sheep. And the kings of Israel are called shepherds. And we, we see this language of the Lord's tender love for his people uh, being a shepherd. And so this was a, a lang- this is the language of the Bible that the, the Jews of Jesus' day would have known. It was also uh, shepherd and sheep, sheep herding was very common, is very common still today in the Middle East. And so when Jesus uses this language to describe his relationship for his people, to explain why it is, uh, that he would heal the, the, the eyes of a man born blind. Jesus was drawing on a wealth of cultural and scriptural language to communicate his love for his people. And so what we see here in the first six verses is that there is a figure of speech that Jesus develops, a, a parable, a metaphor, a simile, a likening. And then we're going to see that in verses 7 down through 18, Jesus gives us five ways, five ways that he connects himself to uh, this metaphor, five ways that this metaphor points us to Jesus. And so Jesus starts by saying uh, whatever, this, these things that everybody who heard him would have agreed with. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. See, um, in the ancient world, when you'd have sheeps in a pen, that there would be somebody who'd be, basically be watching the, the, the door, the gate of the, of the pen. And if you were a shepherd who was known to the, the sheep and known to the gatekeeper, you would go in through the door. That's pretty simple. If you did not know the gatekeeper, who um, sometimes would even sleep there at night, um, you would go in the back way. You climb over the hedges, you come in, sneak in to kill and destroy sheep. It's common knowledge. Um, Jesus continues, says to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Uh, when he's brought all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. It's very interesting. So um, in the West, uh, Western society, we have a, a form of shepherding which involves sheepdogs and driving and, and goads and trucks and all that fun stuff. And so we, uh, shepherds in the West, we shepherd from behind. And we use dogs to, to drive the sheep. But actually, in the Middle East, um, they, actually, they actually have a different way. See, they, they guide their sheep by voice. 
And even today, if there's uh, she, this is the way that it was in the time of Jesus, it's still this way. And if, if there's a bunch of sheep that are in a pen and there's four or five shepherds and the herds are all there, the, the four or five shepherds will stand around the pen and they will call out and the sheep will self-separate. They'll go to their, their respective shepherd and they'll find their shepherd because they know their shepherd's voice. And instead of driving them from behind, the shepherds will actually lead them from in front and will lead them into, the, fall, uh, into finding pasture and finding, finding sheep. And so when Jesus is saying this, he's, he's, saying, he's using cultural imagery that every, everyone who is familiar with that culture would have understood. He continues this. He says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. He said, if they follow the voice of their shepherd, they will not follow the voice of you. It's not that they can't, un- it's not that they can't hear the words of someone who's not their shepherd, but when they hear the voice of their shepherd, they follow it, they, un- they obey it, they listen to it. They listen to it in a way that they don't hear the voice of strangers. And Jesus is using this metaphor to explain why he has gone out of his way to heal the eyes of a man born blind. Um, and even though the, the Jews of his day don't, the, that he's talking to, they don't understand what he's saying. Uh, still, Jesus gives this to us, and he continues to use this imagery throughout the Bible to describe his relationship with his people. And so Jesus gives us five ways, five ways in which this metaphor applies to him and points to him and points to us. And the the first one is this. Just as the door is the way that the sheep go out to find pasture, so Jesus is the way that you and I go to find life. Just as the door is the way that Jesus goes out to, or that sheep would go out to find pasture, so Jesus is the way that you and I go out to find life. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And so Jesus is actually using the metaphor, first, not of the shepherd, but of the door, the gate of the pen that the sheep would have to come in and out of to find protection and comfort and safety and to find, um, to find life. He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go out and find pasture. He says, I'm the only way that someone can be saved, uh, that only by coming and leaving through me, that, that only through, if someone goes through me can they have life. And he says, that's why I came. I came that I would have that I would that my sheep would have life and that they would have it abundantly. And notice how Jesus contrasts that with false teachers, with false shepherds. And here Jesus is drawing on clearly the past, such passages as Ezekiel thirty-four that we read earlier. And Jesus says that there are other shepherds out there who are not true shepherds who will come in on other ways, and they will come in not to give life but to take it. Not to give abundant life, but to suck life. They come in from other ways to come in and sneak and steal and destroy. He says, I, 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 if anyone would have life, they would have it abundantly. They must come through me. Jesus continues. Just as a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, so Jesus lays down his life for his people. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, 
who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus is contrasting himself again with, with hirelings, with poor shepherds. When he says, I lay down my life with my sheep, and my sheep will, uh, and those who are false shepherds, they're just hired hands. They don't care about the sheep, but I care enough about the sheep that I lay down my life. Now, we, maybe we are too familiar with this to be appropriately surprised by this. If any one of you was a shepherd, I don't believe we have any shepherds here at church, but we got one of, I think, everything else. But if any of you was a shepherd and you said there was a bear or a wolf or a coyote coming for my sheep and I, would, I was going to go risk my life, put myself in between the sheep and the coyote, I would say you probably care a little bit too much about your job. When I was in high school, I would go to all these wrestling meets, and um, you'd, you'd see the, the shirts, and you know, high school boys are not known for their modesty. And they, so they'd have all these mottos on their shirts to, to advertise their wrestling, uh, the re, their wrestling club or team. And uh, the one that always stuck out to me was, um, obsessed is just a word that the lazy use to describe devoted. And that's kind of the tack that Jesus is using here. Uh, Jesus is, when he says, I'm the good shepherd, he's, he's using the language of hyperbole. He's saying, I, I, I'm the good shepherd. I, I'm, I'm such a good shepherd. I would lay down my life for my sheep. Those other people, those fools, those rational people, any of us, they'll run. They'll run when they see a wolf coming. They'll sacrifice their wolf, their sheep. For, but I will lay down my life for the sake of my sheep. That is a shocking image. What shepherd in his right mind would do that? Jesus would. Jesus would lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus would give himself and sacrifice himself for the sake of his sheep. This, this passage points to a number of theological truths. It points to what we would call substitutionary atonement. Uh, substitutionary atonement, and Bible scholars just make up big words sometimes just to sound smart. Um, but substitutionary atonement is the very simple idea that Jesus lays down his life for us, that condemned in my place he stood, that he died on the cross that we should have died on, that all of us are sinners, all of us like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way, as Isaiah says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This passage points to substitutionary atonement, that Christ lays down his life so that we could have life. If you're wondering how is it that God gives us life, an abundant life through Christ, it's because Christ laid down his life. Christ laid down his life so that you and I might live. This passage points to substitutionary atonement. This passage also points to, and other ones like it, what we might call particular redemption, sometimes known as limited atonement. This passage teaches that Jesus dies for his sheep. He doesn't die for the goats. And that can be a hard teaching until you realize that that means that, that he died for me. He didn't just die to make salvation possible for me. He died so that I could live. He didn't just die so that the dominoes would all be in motion if I ever decided that I wanted to follow him. He died so that I might have abundant life. 
Say, what kind of shepherd would do that? What kind of shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep? What kind of shepherd would put himself on the cross on our behalf? Well, he tells us. See, the reason that he's not a hireling hireling is because hirelings don't care for the sheep. But Jesus does care for his sheep. The, The Apostle Paul says it this way. God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why would the shepherd lay down his life for the sheep? Why would the shepherd put himself on the cross in our place? Because he loves us. Because he cares for us. Because he is a good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. He sacrifices himself and gives himself up for the sheep. This passage tells us that just as a good shepherd, a best shepherd, an obsessed shepherd, irrational shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep, so Jesus lays down his life for us. Uh, Jesus is a good shepherd in that he knows his own and his own know him. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I've and Jesus explains, he says, I, I, I'm the good shepherd. My, my shepherd, he's already told us, my shepherd, my sheep hear my voice. That they know who I am. When they hear me speaking, they, they hear me. They listen to me. There's, there's something in, in them that resonates when they hear me. My sheep hear my voice, he tells us. And they know me. And Jesus died so that we would know him. He died to make us. Out of us goats and wolves and snakes and serpents, sheep. He says, he, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. And then get this. He says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. When Jesus makes us into his sheep, he invites us to know him just as the Father knows Him. See, the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father. It's this divine dance of, uh, of self-knowledge where God knows Himself as the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father. And Jesus dies so that you and I could enter into God's own self-knowledge. He died so that you and I could know Christ at a level that is more than just head knowledge, but penetrates to the very root of soul and bone. The Christians, that is the abundant life that he's come to give us. That's the abundant life that he's come to give us, that we would know the Father by knowing the Son, and that by knowing the Father, we'd know the Son. He's come to give us the abundant life that comes from knowing God. He's come to give us the, 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 the knowledge of himself, the, the knowledge that Paul says in Ephesians surpasses knowledge. That's what abundant life is. Just as the sheep know the shepherd, so we know Jesus. Number four, just as the shepherd gathers the sheep, 
So Jesus gathers his church. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus says that I have other sheep who are not of this fold. And in just a few chapters, we'll see that the Gentiles come in to, to hear Jesus, uh, will come in to come meet Jesus and see Jesus. And this passage points to this reality that there will be others who, uh, who are not there at this time who will come to know them. But notice that even before Jesus goes to gather them, he already possesses them. He says, I have other sheep. They're already mine. I already own them. They already belong to me. They, it's already there. I, I'm already their shepherd. This points to the reality of election. That Jesus owns us before we own him. That we belong to Jesus before we know that he belongs to us. That Jesus possesses us and claims us and seeks us and finds us. And it's this reality that makes us into the one church. The true church. The the church that is the people of God pulled from every tribe and tongue and nation, as the book of Revelation says. To, To bring the ransomed home. That's what Jesus' mission is, to go and gather those who are already his, who already belong to him, who just need to be brought into his people. And number five, just as the shepherd has authority over the sheep, so Jesus has authority over his church. He says, for this reason, the father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again points this relationship of love between the father and the son he says the father the father loves me because i I lay down my life that i may take it up again and then he says in verse 18 no one takes it from me but i lay it down of my own accord it's almost like he's saying they're gonna tell you that they killed me don't buy it don't don't let them tell you that they took my life for me. Don't let them tell you that this was an accident. Don't let them tell you that they won. I laid down my life on my own authority. And by the way, I have the authority to raise it back up again too. If I willingly, voluntarily choose to die on the cross for the sake of my sheep, I can raise it back up again. I can come, that, that, that if I choose to die, I choose to live as well. So this, this charge I received from my father. And of course, we've, we've seen this, this idea of Jesus' authority over his sheep. We've, we've seen this all throughout this passage already. Because the sheep hear his voice. They listen to his voice. They go where he leads. They follow him. When he leads them to pasture, they follow. When he gathers them in, they come in. Because Jesus has authority over his sheep. Christians, just as, the, that just as the shepherd is to the sheep, so Jesus is to us. When we say the Lord is my shepherd, that has very real meaning for us who are Jesus's. That Jesus Christ is our shepherd. And that makes a world of difference for those who are his people. That makes a world of difference. This is not only one of the most theologically rich passages in the Gospel of John, it's also one of the most applicable. It's also a passage that, that is, that is um, hard to not find application in. So therefore, 
I have somewhere between nine and 13 applications. Now I say that because originally in my original outline, I put down nine, but as I was walking over here this morning, other ones started coming to mind. So we'll see how far we get. Number one. You guys think I'm joking, but it's not a joke. It's just a true story. Number one. Jesus wants you to have abundant life. Jesus wants you to have abundant life. Jesus wants you to know the Father as he knows the Father. He wants you to have abundant life. And when we say he wants you to have abundant life, let's just be clear about what we're saying. He's not saying that he is going to fill up your bank account. He's not saying that he's going to give you perfectly obedient children. He's not saying that he's, going to, that he's going to even out all of the wrinkles in your life. But he is saying this, that the life that he gives is so weighty and so powerful that even when your body is wasting away day by day, Inwardly, it's being renewed. The, 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 the gain that Jesus gives far exceeds any cost in this life. When you are in the thick of it, when you're feeling frazzled and stressed, when, when you feel like your life is falling apart one piece at a time, when you feel like the sky is falling down on you and you don't know where to start to pick it back up again, abundant life is still available for you. You don't have to put your life back together before you can receive this life, but rather this life is its most powerful for us when life is the hardest. Jesus wants you to have this kind of life. This kind of abundant life that comes from knowing the Son and knowing the Father. Jesus wants you to have this level of relationship with Him. And if you don't know how to do that, I would love to talk with you afterwards. It's, it, it sounds complicated. It's not. It's just you pray to Him and say, Jesus, I, take my sin, take all my shame, take all the things that I've done and give me your righteousness. Welcome me into your house. And the good thing is that Jesus knows his own. And even if you stumble over the words and you don't say quite everything quite right, it's not a magic formula. Rather, scripture tells us that Jesus, that the Lord is near to all who call on him. Jesus wants you to have abundant life. Number two, that means we must ask ourselves, am I really his sheep? Am I really his sheep? Is he really my shepherd? You say, well, how do I know that? Well, do you hear his voice? Jesus very clearly says, my sheep hear my voice. Do you respond to his voice? When he calls, do you come? Are you his sheep? Number three. If you are his sheep, then you are not your own. 
If you are his sheep, you are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. We live in a world which tells us that we get to be the master of our own fate and the captain of our own souls, and we get to determine who we are and what we want to be in our identity. But Scripture tells us that if we are Christ, we are not our own. Uh, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. This is why Jesus says, I have sheep, I possess, I own, they're my own. If you are Christ, you are not your own. I love what the words of the Heidelberg Catechism says. It says, what is thy only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation and therefore by his Holy Spirit. He also assures me of eternal life, makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus belongs to him. When you and I become Christians, we resign our right to object to him. If he is our savior, he also must be our Lord. You are not your own. Which means, number four, we must listen to his voice. We must listen to his voice. You want to say this really simply, Listen. Listen to him. Listen to his word. This means, of course, that you must know his word. You must understand it and make pains to study it and know it. That it should be part of your life, but also means that you need to trust it. Even when it conflicts with what would be nice or comfortable, you need to trust it and be willing to obey it. And and trust that even when it means that there's loss, that ultimately it is for my good. Several years ago, I had a family member come to me and ask me if I would perform their wedding. This person was engaged in a relationship that was not glorifying to the Lord. And I had to tell him, no, you know I can't do that. And he said, well, I was hoping you would make an exception for me. But I, I, I don't have that right It's not if I want to make an exception. Just the Lord, you know I can't do that. And our relationship has not been the same since. Listening to his voice means sometimes we will have to make hard decisions. It means sometimes we will have to side with the Lord over people who are very precious to us. And it means sometimes even though we try to love those people in our lives and we try to explain, I I love you, I, I, I don't agree with you, I belong to Jesus, but I still love you, that they would sometimes misinterpret that. You say, why would you follow a shepherd that would ask that of you? Because he leads me beside still pastures. That for all the loss that comes with decisions like that, for all the, the, the difficulty that comes with putting my chips in with Jesus, there is far more gain. 
There's far more to be had by, own, by being owned by Him and by owning Him and choosing to obey Him and choosing to follow Him even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. We must listen to His Word. Number five, I think. Sounds right. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Let me explain what I mean by that. The, the sheep will more and more, the longer that they are a sheep, begin to look like their shepherd. You'll notice that Jesus contrasts his behavior with the behavior of the false shepherds. And the behavior of the false shepherds is they come to the sheep wanting to kill and destroy, to take life and not give it. But Jesus comes to give life and not take it. Jesus' relationship with his sheep is one fundamentally of generosity, of love, of care. Which means that that should be our mentality too. Particularly if we are in positions of authority over people, if we're, if we're parents or if we, we have oversee people in our jobs or if we're leaders in the church. But this is true for all of us. That we do not exist to take life from others, but to give life to others. We do not exist to suck the soul out of other people, but to give them life. To let Christ minister through us and to be able to serve others, to love others because he loved us. Don't be selfish. Number six following a similar logic. Don't be a coward. Again, you'll notice here that the the false shepherds run away when the wolf shows up. When the wolf comes, they leave the sheep and flee. It's cowardice. If you and I would be like our shepherd, if we would imitate him, if we would be like Christ, then we will be bold and courageous. We won't run from responsibility. We won't abandon others in their moment of need. We we, we won't leave others in the lurch. Don't be a coward. Don't run from responsibility. Don't run from difficulty. Don't run from discipline. Don't run from the voice of the shepherd. Christians, if we would be like our shepherd, we must be marked by an uncommon courage. Number seven. Just as our good shepherd goes out and gathers us, so you and I ought to join the shepherd in the gathering. You and I ought to participate in what God is doing to bring the lost sheep home. 
you and I, just as Jesus goes out and finds the lost one, he leaves the 99 and he goes and finds the lost one. So you and I ought to go forward into this world. We ought to find those who don't know Jesus. We ought to beckon with them and beg them to come and know him. To invite those who maybe think that they're Christians, but you can see that they're not, and invite them to come and know the Lord. This is convicting for me because I am not good at this. I am not good at sharing the gospel with those that I don't know. I'm not good at inviting others to church that I don't know. I need to get better at it. But Christians, if you and I would be like our shepherd, we ought to join him in the gathering. We ought to join him in going out and finding those who don't know him and bringing them here and bringing them before him of sharing the gospel of saying, as we, we saw in the beginning of the Gospel of John, of the disciples who say, come and see. So Christians, we ought to come go to those who don't know the Lord and say, come and see. We ought to join him in the gathering. Number seven-ish. Eight. Oh. To be a sheep... To be a sheep means to be part of the flock. Every time you see Jesus refer to the sheep, it's a, it's a picture of a corporate image. There's no, there's no such thing as a lone wolf sheep. There's no such thing as a solitary sheep who lives on a mountain all by himself. Sheep, sheep are sometimes thought to be stupid animals, and it depends on who you talk to. But Part of the reason sometimes that you think they're thought to be stupid animals is they're actually really corporate animals. So you never see just one sheep. They're always together. They always stay by, they always fall. That's why they need a shepherd who can lead them because they'll follow each other off a cliff. Christians, if you and I would be a sheep, that means that we'll be part of the flock. If you and I would be a sheep, that means that we would be gathered, not only that we would join Jesus in the gathering, but that we would be gathered ourselves. That, that we would be part of the one flock. That we would live life with other Christians. That we would give other Christians a chance to speak into our lives. That we would covenant together and join together in fellowship. Christians, that you and I are one of the sheep, then we also must be part of the flock. Number nine. I want to say this with great carefulness and sensitivity. It is one of the enduring ironies of this passage. Um, that Jesus takes great pain to distinguish himself from poor shepherds. And clearly, he's referring at least to the, the previous leaders of Israel, but I also think he's referring to the religious establishment of his day, the same people who had kicked the blind man out of the synagogue for being healed on Sabbath. Jesus says, in comparison with them, I'm a good shepherd. 
I know if we went around this room, we could all share stories of shepherds that we trusted, that we loved, that we appreciated, that ministered to us, who later we found out were not good shepherds, who let us down, who ran from responsibility and used their spiritual platform to gain notoriety and not to serve others. And if I'm being honest, there's been times where I have not been a good shepherd. Where I, as the pastor here and pastor at my last church, I haven't always been a good shepherd. This sermon is as much for me as for anybody else. And so if you're, if you're here today and you feel the pain of that relationship, and, and it's hard for you to, to, to see the shepherd as a good image. You need to know that Jesus is not like those shepherds. Jesus is a good shepherd. He's a better shepherd than me. He's a better pastor than me. Jesus is a good shepherd. And if you're here today and you've been wounded by someone of my class of, uh, who, sits, who stands up here in front and, and would deign to speak the word of God, You need to hear from someone in my position say, I am sorry. I'm sorry that's happened to you. I'm sorry you've been wronged. I'm sorry you've been let down. Jesus is a better shepherd than us. And yet, in the Gospel of John, the image of shepherd is also used to describe church leaders. For example, at the end of the Gospel of John, the story of Peter. Many of you know this story. After Jesus is raised from the dead, Peter uh, and Jesus are talking. And Peter, of course, has just denied Jesus, and it's super awkward. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. You know all things. Feed my sheep. It's part of the the paradox and the tension of the Gospel of John that Jesus, on the one hand, uses the image of shepherd to describe those religious leaders who have abdicated and who have been selfish and run from responsibility and not been helpful to their sheep. And yet he also uses the image of shepherd to put his people at rest, to know that he is leaving them in good hands. See, Jesus accomplishes his shepherding work through his under-shepherds. This is why there's so many warnings in the New Testament. There's so many warnings about being an under-shepherd, like James 3, or when Peter and Hebrews say that pastors will be held to an account to shepherd the flock of God, as Paul charges the the elders of the Ephesian church. And so Christians, I, I know this is a hard ask, but sometimes we need to trust the under shepherds. Sometimes we need to trust the under shepherds. I'm not... And what I mean by that is to say that Jesus ought to be the good shepherd in our lives. He ought to be the one who has our ultimate allegiance and our ultimate trust. 
but we also ought to trust the men that he establishes as elders in his church. To trust that he shepherds us through them. And I've been in a number of churches, and I can just tell you, I have the utmost confidence in the, my co-elders here. The way that they outvote me and overrule me. Happens more than you guys would think. That is God shepherding his church through the shepherds here. And of course, we're not always going to get it right. It's one of the conversations I had with our intern this past summer that there are many times as a pastor where you will have to say, I'm sorry. And yet we can trust that as surely as Christ shepherds his church, so he shepherds his church through his people. He accomplishes his purposes through means. And he shepherds through his under-shepherds. And if, there's, if I've touched on a nerve there, I, I, I hope that you understand I've thought a lot about how to approach that with great care. But if you want to talk with me more about that afterwards, I would be happy to talk with you about that. Which leads me to my last application. I, don't, I lost track a long time ago. That we ought to joyfully and eagerly entrust ourselves to his shepherding care. Some, oftentimes we, we act like we need to get our act together before we can turn to Jesus. Maybe sometimes after we've sinned, after we've let other people down, maybe sometimes after other people have wronged us and hurt us, we, we, we feel like we need to just make sure we're okay before we reach out to the Lord. But Jesus would rather have us reach out to him before we're okay. He would rather have us reach out to him when we're in that dark place, when we feel like no one could possibly still love us, when we feel that no one could be there for us. That's when Jesus wants us to reach out. When we're in the moments of sorrow, when we're in that place where, where we, don't, we just are having a hard time seeing the light come in, that's when we need to reach out to Jesus the most. And here's the promise that God gives us for all of his children. We saw this earlier at the beginning of our service. He says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Christians, there is a day that is coming where Jesus will lead us into the last pasture that we will ever go into where we will know the Father face to face, and where the Lamb will be our shepherd, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And you and I get a foretaste of that day when we turn to him in our darkest moments and in our deepest valleys. And when he wipes away our tears in those moments, we get a foretaste of the glory to come.
Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us a good shepherd. A shepherd who is a better shepherd than any other shepherd on this earth. A shepherd who leaves the loss or leaves the 99 and goes out and finds the one. A shepherd who is so devoted to his task that he would lay down his life for his sheep. And Father, we thank you that you have given us a shepherd who makes a way that we would know you even as he knows you. Father, we thank you that he promises to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Father, we pray even now that that day would come more quickly, that we would see him in his glory, and that we would be saved to sin no more. And so, Father, I pray now that you would strengthen our backs, that you would steady our knees, that you would set our gaze on the road ahead, for the day is short. Night is yet to come. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.